Well, this will, I think, be a shorter session than lead into uh, conversation, questions and answers, and uh, this is how we go. I've been asked to be on leading, leading in grace, as opposed to setting out uh, what grace is, and just again to say about that book, will follow through and answer all kinds of questions that we haven't been able to answer just in a, in a morning. And it's important. Sometimes people will, amazingly, kind of argue against grace. They're quite nervous of it because there's no law. And you must need, you need some law. So you need to get really established in it so you can answer those questions. Anyway, Father, we thank you once again for fellowship. We thank you for friends in your presence, Lord. We thank you for comradeship in the gospel. Lord, as we press on into this afternoon session, would you please continue to enable us? Come, Holy Spirit, we really honour your presence. We love your being with us. Come and be our teacher, please. Come and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, leading in grace, I think, starts from your own personal persuasion that what we've been talking about is true. Uh, and so it comes out of your heart, your own heart motivation. And uh, in my own uh, devotions at the moment, I'm, I'm working through Second Corinthians, and you see there Paul's attitude of grace, which is overflowing all the time. And uh, I think that what you find often in any of the epistles, but I guess particularly in Paul, is that uh, he, he's giving thanks for the people all the time. You know, even the Corinthians, <laughs> who are a pain in the neck, really. Uh, but he gives thanks for them. And I think one of the ways that should uh, be manifest in leading in grace is a thankful heart that people should encounter in us thankfulness, our own, our own enjoyment of grace, that we're not under pressure all the time. And to be honest, to really grasp the grace of God in your own heart will make you a worshipper. And, and I would encourage you to give time to worship, to enjoying God for yourself, uh, to celebrating him, giving thanks for him, so that ministry is not some dreadful duty we have to keep up. Now, there are pressure times, huge pressure times in ministry. But what you do see in Paul is this consistent thanksgiving. I, he, he often the letters start with, I thank God for, I thank God for you. He'll say it. Now, he's going to say some pretty hard things to the Corinthians later on. He's going to challenge them about their attitudes and so on. But he gives thanks for them. And I think that that's one of the ways we lead with grace to express gratitude that people even bother to turn up uh, and, and, and stay faithful to you and uh, you know, they're there with you. And so I think thanksgiving and worship is one of the ways we lead in grace. Paul, Paul says at one place in, in Corinthians, God knows I love you. Uh, it's, like I, it's almost like I call, I call God to bear witness. I love you. And, and if you read through Second Corinthians, there has been, I mean, they are, are awful people, <laughs> at least some of the people there. Some of the things he has to deal with, they're really, really bad. It's tough, and he has to deal with it, has to answer their questions, has to do all sorts of stuff. But he says, I thank God for you. You think, man, how does he do that? And it's because he's enjoying grace. The grace is, uh, is, is preeminent in his own experience, 
He's continually giving thanks. Now, you've got to remember, he was a Pharisee. He wasn't born this way. He's not a born optimist. He was a Pharisee. He was a legalist. Um, and he, no, he was responsible for Stephen's death and for grabbing Christians out, putting them in prison. He was a pretty narrow guy and a horrible legalist. But the grace of God has set him free. And so what comes out of his heart is his thanksgiving and, and praise. And, and I think he lets the people know, I love you. That's one of the ways we lead with grace. He's not scared to express love. He's not constantly correcting, he's expressing love. I think it's a crucial part. Uh, and then also always affirming what they now are. It's what we looked at somewhat in the, in the second session this morning. You know, you, he says in Ephesians, you used to be darkness, you're now light. You know, you've had this radical change. And so walk as children of the light. So he, he, he was always addressing them from whom they, who they now are. He's not a mora moralist. Christianity isn't a mor morality religion, just imposing. It's, it's helping people understand who they are in Jesus and then expecting the fruits of that to come from them. So that comes out in the way he preaches, the way he teaches. And, and uh, I remember once, uh, uh, years and years ago, now I was preaching on the grace message, and, and uh, someone came up to the other and said, thank you for your challenging word. It wasn't a challenging word at all. It was a word to lift their heads. But it, was, it seemed in those days, the only way you could do something good would be to challenge. You know, thank you for your challenging word. I thought, I wasn't meant to challenge. I meant to, <laughs> meant to encourage you. But they're so used to so used to that climate, you know, if it was good, you've got to feel challenged. And uh, I think we just got to get express joy, celebration, and kind of a constant restating of who they are. Then I would add to, add to that, that Paul does call people to live this new kind of life. And, and for myself, when I, when, I, when I saw the grace of God, and for me it was like, it, like wow. In fact, when I first heard it, and I first began to see it in the scripture, began to work and think, is this right? Am I, what am I seeing right? I almost felt like I saw a clouds in the sky, and then the clouds moved over, and I thought, did I see something? And I felt God said to me, don't be scared, I will persuade you that this is true. And I thought, how kind of God, he's going to persuade me. And sure enough, I got clearer and clearer about the grace of God. And it was like, when they heard about Jesus being raised from the dead, it says, they couldn't believe for joy. And I felt like that. I thought, I can hardly believe this for joy. It's so wonderful. I felt like I'm getting born again again. Uh, and that, that, that sheer delight in it, which I think we need to keep communicating. But then I, I was slightly scared to exhort people in any way. Because I thought I'd be putting them back under law. If I say, you know, so do this. So I hardly ever gave an exhortation because I was just constantly affirming, affirming, affirming. You're in grace, you're loved, and so on. And, uh, but then if you read the epistles, you find the word urge or exhort or appeal to you. You find those phrases again. So Paul is constantly actually appealing to live a new kind of life. But it always comes out of who they now are. It's not like, if you, give this, if you live this kind of a life, God will be pleased with you. No, it's because God has already made you a joy and a pleasure and a delight to him because you're in Christ. Therefore, live this kind of life. And you'll find the epistles are full of clear instructions. 
So it says things like this, you who stole, steal no more. Well, you know, the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt not steal. But you'll find Paul is saying, look, you're, you're now children of the light. Now this is who you are. And so he, but he, so he still says, no, no, so live this life out. And you'll find many specific instructions. So he mustn't be frightened to exhort and encourage and appeal to people to make good choices, to live the holy life. It isn't all you're on grace, you never give those instructions. Just let go and let God. That's not the Bible. The Bible says, this is who you are, it's all free, God calls you righteous. Now in view of you being this, I appeal to you therefore. And you'll find, even in the epistles, you sometimes find a turning point. So the Ephesians, for instance, you get three chapters telling you who you are and the wonderful things God has done for you. And then chapter four starts there, therefore, at this turning point, therefore, worthy of this calling. And you'll find that in a number of places. Even Romans, you have to get right through to verse chapter 12. And we've got 11 chapters of things that God has done for you. And then Romans 12, 1, therefore, he says, now walk in a certain way. Give yourselves in response to God, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. And so he's saying, in view of uh, you know, 11 chapters of what God's done, now, you respond. So it always starts with grace, it always starts with what God has done, and then in view of that, come on, respond to that, and uh, God does want a holy life, and it does need exhortation. You know, chapter 6 is explaining, you've died, now consider that true, live it out, but now I want you to know the whole thing, and uh, that will include our response. So don't fear exhortation, just make sure it's in a context of grace and is always rooted in the new identity that we have in Christ. And that whole thing of faith, the importance, Paul says to Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. The, the, the realm in which we fight is faith. And so we do want to encourage people to believe that through faith and patience they obtain. So faith is a constant call to people, not to put them under things, but come on, let's believe for this. Let's believe what God has said we're going to live out. And I would say in that context, we probably need to teach the difference between legalism and discipline. They can look like the same thing. So if you're disciplined, people might say, oh, you're legalistic. No, no, it's, it's the root. Legalism is kind of you trying to earn points, really. So as I said in the earlier message, that I prayed for half an hour. Do I get points for that? You know, I, I read my Bible. Do I get points? Like legalism is trying to earn merit, trying to obtain something through your own effort. Discipline, which can look like it, because it may result in you doing similar things, has a different root. Discipline is something you choose to do, not trying to impress anybody. You're not trying to impress God, you're not trying to impress yourself. You're not trying to impress anybody else. You just feel, I want to make good choices in order to accomplish stuff. You want, you want to get to know God better. You want to enjoy a relationship with him. So, you, you see, I, I, I love being with my wife. And uh, Monday has always been our, our day. You know, we have day, that's our day. And sometimes, like a weekend like this, 
I, I would get to sometimes when people say, oh, you know, if you speak Sunday night, you can go home, you don't do anything Mondays, do you? It's your day off. And I say, I do something on Mondays, that's my day with Wendy. And so I'm very disciplined about it, but you say, oh, discipline, that's not a loving thing. Discipline is just cold. That's not cold at all. I want my day with my wife. And if I don't have my day with my wife, and this could happen in my lifestyle, I'll go home on Monday. If I go home on enough Mondays, you think my wife might say, I do, you do have a wife. And actually, I want to cultivate my love for her. It's not discipline, it's, it's not legalism. It's love-inspired discipline. Do you see the difference? I'm not trying to earn any points. I want to be with her. But if I don't make good choices, that could drift. Similarly, I want to walk with God. I really do. I want to, walk, I want to be fruitful for him. I want to enjoy life with him. So it's not out of legalism that I will make good choices. I will, I will do certain things, like I was saying this morning, like reading my Bible, praying. Now, le- reading your Bible, praying, can be legalism if you haven't understood grace. Once you've understood grace, you realize, I don't have to do these things anyway. But I want to get to know God. So, so I'm fairly disciplined in my Bible reading, because I want, and I read other books, I want to get to know. The motivation is different. That is the important thing. And we need to teach people the difference between... Discipline and legalism. We're not, we're not legalism, it's not interlegalism. But if you, I mean, I love reading biographies. Uh, they're so inspiring. But you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who did anything impressive who was not disciplined. And then discipline is part of growing. It's part of, it just helps you. Am I making that clear? A few heads nodding. Uh, it's, 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 it's a huge thing, as far as I'm concerned. Because uh, it's so easy to see it. When, when the, grace, the grace message, it was, there was a grace awakening, one book was written, people began to be aware of grace. And I knew friends who said, oh, do you still do prayer meetings? How legalistic. <laughs> Literally, you do still. It wasn't legalistic at all. We wanted some answers to prayer. We saw some wonderful things happen because we prayed. It wasn't legalism. And that, they even said to me, you know, New Testament Christians, they didn't carry big black Bibles under their arms. They just lived from their spirit. That, now, the A to B is wrong. Yeah, they didn't carry big black Bibles, obviously. But they didn't just live from their spirit. Paul said, I taught you day and night with tears. It wasn't that they, they didn't have big black Bibles, but they, they, gave, they, said they gave themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And Paul, you know, his teaching, you remember the guy fell out the window? Uh, he fell out the window, Paul's preaching so long. And this young guy fell out the window, and they raised him from the dead, like you do, you know. And, and then it says, Paul continued teaching till morning. They said, teach him to the poor guy, falls out the window, get him up, why you raise him from the dead just quickly? Right, let's carry on, teaching. <laughs> until the morning. And so it was so silly to say, oh, you don't need it. Of course I want to learn all I can. I want to. It's not legalism, it's appetite to know. And, and when you fall in love with God, when you know God, you, you, you want to know more about him. It's an appetite to know more. So we just need to help people with that to see the difference between legalism and discipline. Otherwise they, were, they can drift in the name of grace. 
And Paul says elsewhere, don't let uh, grace cover up multitude of sin. Don't let, don't let your lifestyle drift in the name of grace. Don't go there. It says all things are lawful. It's like, you know, you're free, but not all things are profitable. And he says all things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. See, Paul, again, that argues against that Romans 7 teaching when he says, I'm, I'm under awful sin, how can I? Elsewhere, he says, look, I won't, I won't be dominated by anything. He's free. Okay, so, I'm sorry, I'm dodging around a bit, but there we go. Um, it's, it's uh, remind people that it's God's work in them all the time. Paul says, work out your salvation. It's not... It's not uh, passive, we're not passive as Christians work out your salvation for God is at work in you to will and do his good pleasure so we anticipate the help of God but grace doesn't mean we become passive oh it's all done, just let go no, we, we work out our salvation but God's at work, God's ability, God's empowering we can draw upon so that is an important uh, lesson for us to learn and to put into practice and I think to be worshippers of God is fundamental to the whole thing, really. That, that we, we worship because of what God has had done for us. We celebrate what he's done for us. We, the grace community will be a worshipping community because, hey, God, you're amazing. And in the context of worship, we get more revelation. We get more insight because our hearts are uh, open towards him. And... Uh, and, and I, I, that's it. I just say quite a brief thing about how we lead with grace. It's about attitude. It's about expressing love. It's about encouraging people to see distinctives between not being lazy and calling it grace. No, we celebrate grace. We worship God because of grace. But we we take on disciplines because we want to grow, not because we're trying to impress anybody. We, in our own hearts. We know the value, so we give ourselves to certain disciplines. Otherwise, things drift. And you, you don't want to drift. Uh, you want to keep feeding on God and enjoying him. And in the context of worship and celebration, you are getting rid of that having to work because you're celebrating things. And I know for myself, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly disciplined in my Bible reading, my worship, prayer. But my day starts with worship. And sometimes people say, when you pray, start by confession, clear the decks. You know, it sounds, it sounds sensible. You know, when you pray, just first confess your sins. It kind of clears the ground. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus, Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. It's interesting. We, we sometimes think, well, that, that's a children's prayer. You know, get to say, our Father. Or even a Roman Catholic penance. You know, say 25 Our Fathers or something. But actually, remember, in the Bible, Our Father was Jesus' reply when his leading apostles asked him, will you teach us to pray? And his answer was, I mean, would surprise us, I think. When he, he answered Peter, James, John, these, these leading guys, how, how do you pray? You know, teach us to pray. And he said, pray this. And he gave them what we call the Lord's Prayer. That was his answer to his leading guys. And I don't think it meant, now repeat it parrot fashion. I believe he's giving you a shape. See, if you start your prayer and say, here's a good idea, start with confession. 
what I said in the earlier session, the devil is the accuser of the brothers and sisters and accuses us day and night. So when you start and say, well, I just want to come to you, I'm so sorry about this. You start sin conscious in your relationship with God. I'm sorry about this. You'll find Satan will say, what about that as well? Oh yeah, and that. And then, and that, oh yeah, and that too. That's why I think it's why some people hate prayer. Because they start with confession. And that Jesus said, when you come, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. So for me, I use that structure in my prayer life. Celebrate that your, your kingdom come, your, you know, your name be glorified. For me, that will change whatever's on the horizon at the moment. So in my praying you know, through this last week, coming up to you guys in Edinburgh, Lord, let your kingdom come, let lives get see, let them see it, let hearts be open, let, let purpose be fulfilled, let ground be gained. You know, other things, I'm, I'm going to Spain next week. So your kingdom, that was your kingdom come. That, so you start, Father, let your name be glorified. Let your kingdom break out. Now if you use that, and use that kind of headings, uh, give us our daily bread, and then forgive us our trespasses. It isn't that we are indifferent. It's not that we don't care about sin anymore. No, if you use that as an outline, you don't start, my relationship with God is not sin-centered. It's very important. That is not my relationship. My relationship with God is father-centered. Father. I love singing songs that say, now you're my father. I can serve you, father. I'll call you father. It's wonderful to have no God as your father. I remember once my son Simon, who's now a father himself, but when he was a little boy, about, I don't know what it was, six or seven, he came running into the room, sat on my lap, put his arms around my neck and said, hello, darling dad. <laughs> I mean, I still remember it. And sometimes when I'm praying, I use that phrase. I, God knows this background. I said, darling dad. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. And I can still remember what a lovely feeling I had when Simon did that. It was years ago. We come to our father. It's amazing. No, I don't come to this sin-conscious thing. I'm coming to my Father. But if I use the prayer, it's a helpful structure that Jesus gave to his apostles, you'll come to and forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses. I feel, see, some people would almost over-push the grace message. Some people call it kind of super grace or whatever. But some will go as far as to say so the Sermon on the Mount is no longer relevant to us. Because now the cross has happened, so forget the Sermon on the Mount. Well, pardon? Well, that's, Jesus gave that to us. And uh, he gave us the, the Lord's Prayer in the midst of that too. And so, forgive us our trespasses. I think it's a bit like when Jesus is washing the feet of the disciples. And he comes to Simon Peter, you remember? Simon Peter says, oh, you're not washing my feet. I mean, you're the Lord of glory, washing my feet. And Jesus said, no, unless I wash your feet, you've got no part in me. He said, wash me all over, wash me all over. And Jesus says, you're all clean. You're clean. I just need to wash your feet. And I, for me, I feel it's a bit like that. God has declared us righteous. We are clean. The word of God has made us clean. The cross has made us clean. But sometimes we just, Make a mess of something. And so for me, it's like, I will say each day, Lord, is there any, anything, please don't let me get indifferent. Have I offended you in anything? Is there anything I, please forgive me. So that's part of my praying. It doesn't, it's not the center of my praying, but it's not out of the picture. It's part of praying. 
Or is there anything, please bring to my attention, have I offended you in any way, please? So I will pray that. And then I pray, don't lead me into temptation. Don't put me to the test. I hear of you know, Christian leaders, it's heartbreaking in recent years, high profile, wow, how did that happen? And sometimes guys who've had you know, extraordinary life, and they're gone, how did that happen? So I, Jesus said to these apostles, pray. Don't leave me into temptation. Deliver me from evil. So I pray, deliver me from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I, I, I do, almost on a daily basis, I say, please deliver me from the world, the, the, its values, its culture that I could get shaped by, the way the world assesses things, deliver me from it. The flesh, deliver me from the flesh. The flesh is appetites, it's laziness. All the flesh, have, we still have flesh. Please deliver me. And the, the devil, who's a roaring lion, and he's a clever deceiver, he could trick me. And so I pray on a virtually daily basis, please deliver me. You're my deliverer. We sometimes sing that. You're my deliverer. Deliver me today. You're, you can deliver me. Deliver me from sickness. Deliver me from accidents. The devil comes around to kill and steal and destroy. I pray it. Deliver me. You're my deliverer. And so the grace message doesn't mean, well, it's all easy, plain sailing. Kind of sit back and let it flow. No. Jesus said, here's some stuff to live by. And so we don't abandon those things in the name of grace. We celebrate sonship in the name of grace. That I can call him father. It's amazing I can come to God and call him father. I love it. But I still want to work out these things. To live, I live in grace but I want to take on board certain disciplines because I don't want the headline. Have you heard Terry Virgo? Oh, God, forgive, please don't let that ever happen. Don't let that ever happen. I'm asking you, I'm calling upon you, deliver me from it. Don't take me there. You're my deliverer. And so grace does not mean floating along. Grace means that I am accepted. I can call him Father anytime. I can rush into his presence and say, darling dad, I'm righteous. As a gift, it's crazy, it's wonderful. I'm righteous as a gift, but I still want to grow in my Christian life. I want to walk worthy, I want to shine, I want to overcome things that perhaps in my flesh I've never been good at. I, I pray, deliver me from the fear of man. You know, stuff, we want to keep winning the battle. And so there are things, great grounds we want to keep gaining, which will require disciplines, but it's not legalism. All right, getting a bit repetitive now. But these are, these are things just to share uh, in how do we lead in this? How do we encourage? Because the Christian battle is a battle. Uh, we just had our leaders conference in uh, Cyprus where we pulled together uh, leaders in New Frontiers from all over the world. It's a massive privilege. But when you hear them speak, you know, I had a guy from Zimbabwe talking about suffering. Boy, it is hard where they are. It's very hard. And, and Scott Marks, who led that session, he said, we tend to think suffering is when something went wrong. He said, no, no, suffering is part of being a Christian. It was, it was very challenging. Was, yeah, suffering, there will be suffering. And then we had um, the guy from India, Vinu Paul, spoke about persecution. And they're, they're getting serious persecution. And, and we shouldn't be surprised, beloved, if we start getting more persecution in this country on some of the gender issues, some of the strange new morality, and, and the church are the odd ones out. 
And it used to be, it used to be the English mentality, you know, virtue was right, and churchgoers and Christians, they're the ones doing it properly. We, you know, they're the good people, we know they're the good people. But, you know, we don't bother with it, but we know they're the good people. And then gradually it moved across to, no, well, we're, we're kind of atheists, really. We're agnostics, you know, very indifferent. Now it's moved over again. And now we're in the place where, another Christians are the bad people. Because they're against, they're against abortion, they're against same-sex marriage, they're against gender. They're, they're, all this, gradually, the Christians are the awkward ones. And that, people are losing their jobs now. And school teachers are in real problems because they, have I got to say that to a child? Yeah, that's what we say. Wow. And so, it's beginning with the Christians are the awkward ones because they won't affirm these things. So the, to be a Christian is going to be tougher if, if this keeps going. It's going to be tougher. Like it is tough in India now, where Hinduism is being imposed. And where it's in China, where atheism is imposed. And the Middle East, where Islam is imposed. It's hard to be a Christian. I think it might be harder to be a Christian in England in the coming days if these trends carry on. Because we seem to be the bad people. We won't go with what has become acceptable. And, and, and we might find, hey, well, you can't have that job then because you're a Christian. And, uh, and so, those, that, so we need to know the grace of God. We need to celebrate. Because Paul was starting the church when Nero was in charge. And it was tough. It's going to be tough. Prison, beating. And in the midst of it, celebrating, enjoying God, worshipping, enjoying the wonder of it all. But it was against a tough background. And our background might get tougher. So it's so important that we're not casual. We say, oh, we're just churchgoers. I go when I can. You see, that, no, that, that will never do it. People will, will slip. In the early church, you see this, they were together. Uh, and you find in Acts, they were together. They were together at the temple, and they were together house to house. They were a community, a recognisable community. They were together. It was Zion, the people of God. It's almost like they lived together and went out each day to work and then came back to be together. In our day, people tend to live out in the culture and pop into church. God wants a recognisable people. And if we don't learn that, the culture will, de will disciple our children. And our children will come home from school and say, but, because they've not been part of a culture, a people, and then we're part of, this is where I am, I belong to this. And understanding that and celebrating that and enjoying that, rather than, well, I live out there and I do go into church sometimes. That will never do it. So grace sets people free to enjoy God, to be flooded with the Spirit, so that you're motivated, you know this is the thing I want, this is what I want. I want to be part of this. But if, if we don't lift the expectation level, level I think we're going to find we lose our kids because, well, this is, this is just weird. You've got to be persuaded and excited and motivated and feel part of it. So that you, like Moses, he says, Moses, by faith, refused what Egypt offered, counting the reproach of Christ, greater riches, to be among the people of God, was greater riches. And he's being offered, hey, you can be a prince in Egypt. You can have the whole deal. 
And it wasn't by law. It wasn't that his parents said, you're not allowed to. He's, he's grown out of that. It wasn't because of the Ten Commandments. They hadn't come yet. It was by faith. By faith, he thought, no, this is where, this is where life belongs. But they're just slave community. Now I've got faith. The, the Christ is going to come through here. And so what I'm trying to say is that if we don't have a faith that stirs and motivates, we'll find the world will captivate on the next generation. And I think the COVID thing was a bit of a shock. When we came back and said, oh, where have they gone? Some have gone. I thought they were with us. Hmm. So these, are, the, these issues are very, very real. It's not incidental. We need people that are absolutely thrilled with God. Excited because, hey, grace has set me free. Grace has declared me righteous. Grace has declared me to be a son of God. I'm perfected forever. I'm excited about this. I want to know more about God. I want to keep enjoying God. And to be, if we're not excited about God, we're going to lose the way. We have to come to the place where grace has made us full of joy, full of righteousness, full of the knowledge of God. And we actually, by faith, we'd rather be part of this even if it's very costly, even if the pressure's on. Because if we haven't found that and the pressure's on, forget it, I'm out of here. So these are big issues. Although it's a wonderful freeing message, it's a big issue to make sure we get hold of it.